You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. to the Doctor's Lounge. I'm your host, Dr. Hal Schurz, and today we have a special treat. We've got our sound engineer, my co-host, Dr. Mike Karuchik, working the board for us today. Hey, Hal. Glad to do it. Well, we're, we're, this is always a lot of fun when we get to do the show together because it really is uh, you know, a rare event with our busy uh, surgical schedules. Yes, indeed. No, it's always fun to be able to do this together, and uh, and uh, it's always better. The more minds and mouths you have, the better it's going to be. Absolutely. Well, this show is brought to you by the Docs for Patient Care Foundation. We're the only physician-led healthcare think tank in the country, and our mission is to fight for your healthcare freedom by preserving the doctor-patient relationship. And uh, today, that is looking brighter than ever before. At least brighter than it has been over the last eight years. And uh, we uh, really need your help and support. So please go to our website, d4pcfoundation.org. And uh, two weeks ago was Giving Tuesday. So I would uh, really hope that everybody would make that uh, contribution to our foundation so we can continue to bring you the strong shows that we do every week and arm you with the ammunition that you need so that you can advocate for yourself and for your family and fight for your health care freedom. Today, my guest is uh, a good friend of our show and uh, a member of our uh, advisory board from the Docs for Patient Care Foundation, uh, the president of the Pacific Research Institute, who's been on the show before, uh, and that would be uh, Miss Sally Pipes. Hello, Sally, and thanks for joining us in the Doctor's Lounge. Well, thank you, Hal. I'm delighted to be involved with Docs for Patient Care on your team. I think it's one of the, it is the premier um, organization that is really fighting for docs and for patients. Well, you know, we, um, we got into this fight eight years ago because doctors had not responded to the clarion call by a lot of people who were wondering where the doctors were. Why were they taking a back seat? when people were uh, trying to uh, take over health care from Washington, and we couldn't sit still and let that happen. So somebody had to uh, step up, and, and that's what we've been uh, doing ever since. Exactly. Well, it's terrific. Well, you know, I think that uh, there's a lot to be thankful about this uh, holiday season. Um, I, I, I have to say that physicians uh, around the country have been very dejected over the last um, eight years, certainly over the last uh, four years, and uh, things have been very bleak in the physician community. In fact, the Physicians Foundation just recently released their biannual um, survey of physicians, and it's one of the um, best surveys that's uh, done um, every couple of years, um, it, it surveys, uh, they have 17,000 respondents. And what they were uh, concluding in their, in their uh, survey was that, uh, that doctors, 62% of them were experiencing physician burnout. And, uh, and it's because of a lot of the things that uh, are happening in, in, uh, wa- from Washington and uh, in, in various states with regulatory 
restrictions on doctors and not letting doctors be doctors, but rather uh, have to uh, 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 give in and, and uh, comply with uh, regulations that uh, put some entity between doctors and their patients. Exactly, exactly. Well, so maybe now there's a little daylight. Maybe so. What do you? What, what does the brain trust think here? Well, definitely daylight um, in light of um, um, uh, Donald Trump being the president-elect, and we weren't sure, you know, what his um, cabinet would look like. But certainly, um, with the things we've seen so far, with um, the nomination of uh, um, Dr. Tom Price, Congressman from uh, Georgia, from Atlanta, and also um, uh, uh, Seema. Uh, Verma, who is going to head up the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. So I think these 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 um, choices were really terrific and really makes people like my, makes people like myself become very optimistic after being so totally um, depressed since March 23rd, 2010, when the Affordable Care Act was uh, signed into law by President Obama. Well, you know, th- there's. Um the appointment of uh, Tom Price, who has been a good friend of Docs for Patient Care, one of, in fact, probably the uh, single person responsible for the formation of Docs for Patient Care when he and I sat down and talked about what would uh, need to happen to make an idea like Docs for Patient Care fly. Um, Tom really understands the healthcare issues probably better than any person in this country and has uh, the experience as an orthopedic surgeon who has been in practice for 20 years in private practice and in academic practice at Emory University and also um, as a um, a person who's involved in in the state government and knows about medic Medicaid restrictions and medi- and what's involved in that and then finally as uh, uh, one of the uh, leading physicians in Congress who has been responsible for uh, um, the uh, he's the chairman of the budget committee. And more importantly, um, since 2009, he has every year introduced his um, his uh, bill empowering patients act um, and uh, understands the nuances of what's involved in uh, repealing Obamacare and replacing it with um, with patient-centered, and he always talks about patient-centered um, solutions, putting the patients first. Well, how if memory serves, uh, back in 2009, he was in your office, your waiting room when we were all there, um, hatching this thing. Uh, back in the uh, in the days when things were you know looking very bleak, and we figured out that we needed to organize, or we were going to get completely steamrolled over. I mean, he was there in the very beginning. He was, and um, you know, I think that um, uh, Sally also uh, has uh, had the the pleasure of sitting down with Tom and talking with him, and and um, Tom is the kind of person who listens to people and incorporates ideas. He's, he's not an ideologue, but rather a very um, deep thinker who um, really believes that there is, uh, um, uh, that patients know how to take care of themselves and their families better than Washington. 
Well, that, that's absolutely true. And in fact, you know, earlier this year when I was meeting with him, and I um, meet with him every year, and sometimes a couple times a year, and I, I get his, um, he gives me ideas for writing op-eds and things that are of concern to him. But he had his staff distribute my book, uh, The Way Out of Obamacare, to all members of Congress, and which was a wonderful thing to do. And, you know, when he has an issue, when the big debate was going on um, in Washington about whether ref- age-based refundable tax credits are better or worse than um, tax deductions. Um, he and I and many of us in the in the movement believe that age-based refundable tax credits are the way to go in a replacement plan for Obamacare. And um, I wrote a couple of op-eds um, educating Americans on why this was a good idea. So he really understands health care um, better than anyone in Congress that I know. And as, as Hal, you said, I mean, his experience as a doctor, as an um, elected congressman, House member for six terms, um, his his chairing the budget committee, um, and being out there from the beginning talking about he, how he was committed to repeal and replacement of the Affordable Care Act. There was no wavering there. He was really committed to it, and I believe, you know, really will be um, an excellent um, person to ensure that the American people who voted for President Trump and on the on really on a major issue was repeal and replacement of Obamacare. I think he will really work hard to make sure um, that that happens. Mike, how much time do we have in this segment? You have four minutes. So you know what? Can you cue up um, uh, the uh, first sound uh, bite that you have here on on uh, on your on your soundboard? Sure, sure. Yeah, this is interesting because uh, as happy as we are about. Uh, Tom Price uh, being nominated to head Health and Human Services, not everyone is quite as happy. Here we go. I was just so disappointed to see the president-elect nominate Congressman Price to serve as Secretary of Health and Human Services this morning. When it comes to issues like Medicare, the Affordable Care Act, and Planned Parenthood, Congressman Price and the average American couldn't be further apart. Between this nomination of an avowed Medicare opponent and Republicans here in Washington threatening to privatize Medicare, it's clear that Washington Republicans are plotting a war on seniors next year. So, (laughs) comments, Sally? Uh, Was that uh, That Chuck Schumer? That was Senator Chuck Schumer of the great state of New York. Right, exactly. And, of course, he is an avowed um, supporter of the Affordable Care Act. And the things that he said just aren't true. Medicare, under the ideas that um, um, Congressman Dr. Price have, and yourself and myself and many groups out there, will make Medicare stronger and really stronger for those people who really need it. And, you know, privatizing premium support, um, um, raising the age of eligibility from age 65, most the average American today lives to age uh, 79.5. Medicare shouldn't be kicking in for those people who are still working um, or who can afford um, purchasing health insurance. So there's so many things that uh, Senator Schumer said that just are not correct. Uh, Representative Price, President-elect Trump, they really want to make the American health care system better for doctors and patients, not for the federal government. And we've certainly seen under the Affordable Care Act how it has been in a death spiral, and most recently in the past six months with all of the high premiums, high deductibles, patients not being able to get the doctors and hospitals that they're used to having, 17 out of 23 co-ops 
closing, um, health insurers getting out of the exchange market in droves of majors. So um, Senator Schumer is just incorrect. Um, HHS um, nominee Dr. Tom Price is is there to do what we believe is right in restoring health care freedom for all Americans. It, it, it blows my mind, guys, that, that in spite of the election results, that these folks haven't learned anything. Uh, this is the same sort of, you know, scare the seniors, they're going to take your Medicare away stuff that we have heard time and again. And you would think after the, the brutal defeat they just suffered that, that they would try to regroup and come up with a different approach, but apparently not. Well, they they don't have any new approaches. It's the same. It's it's the same playbook that they just recycle. You know, election after election. And if if um, history has taught us anything um, about uh, what's happened during the uh, last eight years, the off uh, year elections, twenty ten and twenty fourteen, where. Um, Health care was uh, the central issue uh, that led to um, defeats that were unprecedented. You know, we're at a hard break right now, so we're going to stop right there and we're going to come back to the doctor's lounge and talk more about what's going to happen in health care starting in 2017 on the doctor's lounge. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back into the Doctor's Lounge. I'm your host, Dr. Hal Schurz. We're back with our guest, Sally Pipes, and uh, our soundboard engineer, my co-host, Dr. Mike Karuchik. And uh, we were... um, uh, I guess um, gloating, uh, we were gushing over the uh, secretary of HHS, who's a good friend of uh, all of ours on this uh, broadcast today. That would be uh, Dr. Congressman, now Secretary Tom Price. And I believe that uh, our future is looking brighter um, these days than it did uh, a year ago. Um, Another one of the appointments from Donald Trump for health care, which bodes well for those of us 
who uh, believe that change is necessary is that of the uh, CMS director, Seema Verma, who is uh, who's been a uh, tremendous uh, advocate um, for free markets and um, is uh, the architect of one of the uh, most, um, I guess, uh, the, an exceptional Medicaid program. You know, those of us who believe that Medicaid won't disappear, we have to fix Medicaid and make it work better. And uh, Seema um, has, uh, uh, was the architect of the Healthy Indiana Plan, which really is, uh, I think, the model by which uh, the Medicaid plans will get reformed around the country. And uh, Donald Trump has told us in his campaign um, uh, tours that he wanted to see the states give uh, get block grants for Medicaid. He wanted to turn Medicaid over instead of the federal government telling each state, uh, all the states, that they had to do a one-size-fits-all Medicaid solution. Um, SEMA and Tom believe that Medicaid... Uh, uh, block grants are the way to go. Um, weigh in on that, Sally. Well, I think it's absolutely correct. And, you know, the, the Medicaid expansion, which was part of the Affordable Care Act, um, out of the uh, 50 states, 31 states expanded their Medicaid programs. 19 states did not. And uh, I think President Obama and if Hillary Clinton had become the president, they were going to almost force those 19 states to expand their Medicaid programs. But what we're finding is that in those states that did expand their Medicaid programs, the cost of the programs, even though, you know, the expansion money is coming from the feds, has been much higher than expected. But even worse for those patients on Medicaid, um, they are now increasingly using the emergency rooms because they can't find doctors who will take them because of the low reimbursement rates, or they're on a waiting list for so long that they'd rather turn up at an emergency room. So I think you know the kinds of ideas that Dr. Price has talked about in in um, you know um, um, block granting the states with the Medicaid for um, for their Medicaid program so they can design them themselves and what SEMA has done under Healthy Indiana these these are the way these are the way to go and even in addition to block granting I mean you can do some privatization some of the the states would do. Um, private programs where people could get a tax credit to purchase um, health insurance um, under, you know, if, even if they're Medicaid eligible. So I think this is very, uh, very, very strong, very, very positive, um, and particularly for that segment of the population who is lower income and who, you know, has been um, hurt by, by the Medicaid expansion. It's not what they thought it was going to be. And we now have 76 million people in this country covered on Medicaid. That's double the size of the population of, of Canada, the country where I'm from. Well, you know, I think that's going to change when the insurance um, restrictions are lifted and there are no longer um, minimum, minimum essential benefits. And insurance companies can once again write insurance policies that make sense for people so that they can get the health insurance that they need instead of the health insurance that the government wants them to have. Yep, you're absolutely right, Hal. And, you know, when we, we've seen the um, exchange, uh, the premium increases for the exchange plans uh, for um, those states that are covered under healthcare.gov uh, for next year, and the average increase is 22%. And that you know, remember the president promised the American people over and over again, if you like your health insurance plan and you like your doctor, nothing will change. And you will see, the average family will see their premium go down on average by 
$500. Well, a 22 or 25% increase is not a reduction. And in some states, you know, like Minnesota, you know, the increases are way up in the 70% increase range. So I think, you know, the, the, um, what we're going to see um, after January 20th, 2017, the date of the inauguration, I think we're going to see some really positive reforms that will put doctors and patients in charge and will allow people to get the kind of health coverage that fits the needs of themselves and their families. So, so Sally, what do you think happens on uh, January 23rd? Um, well, if, if, I, if I were um, a guru with a big crystal ball, I'd probably be making millions of dollars. <laughs> <laughs> but unfortunately, I'm not. But what, what I sort of I think will happen, I mean, the president-elect um, said, uh, right after his election, that he was going to, right after the inauguration on January 20th, um, introduce a special session of Congress immediately to look at ways to repeal and replace Obamacare. I think, you know, with the uh, Republicans having control of the House, they have control of the Senate, but they don't have that supermajority. So what they're going to have to do, the Senate is going to have to do, is to pass and I hope all in one, a repeal and replacement bill under under budget reconciliation. So, um, and under that, the budget reconciliation is only deals with issues related to money, taxes, finance. But assuming, you know, that all goes well, I think we should see the repeal of the individual and the employer mandate, uh, the Medicaid expansion program, the subsidies that are provided um, under, Obama, under Obamacare, and also IPAB, the Independent Payment Advisory Board, which was part of the law, which um, Obama never, he talked about and, and was very keen on, but never was able to um, muster up the strength to introduce it. And so it's very exciting that that never happened. But those are the kinds of things that, you know, will, will be part of um, a budget reconciliation uh, package, and I think it's exciting. And then they need to come forward right away with their replacement um, plan. So, I, you know, before we go into that, I would just want to remind everybody about what happened in the 114th Congress. Um, they actually did pass a budget reg- resolution last year that was vetoed by President Obama, and that um, budget resolution called for the repeal of the individual and employer mandates and the repeal of the Medicaid expansion, the tax credits, the medical device tax, and the Cadillac tax. And it also stripped the government of its authority to run the exchanges and lessened the fine for failing to comply with the mandate to the individual mandate to zero dollars. And the reason why they had to um, do that and not eliminate it is because that that was part of the Senate rules. They couldn't eliminate it, but they could reduce the fine. And that's what I think can be what will be done immediately if if I pulled out my crystal ball. Right, exactly. Because he said he would, if he was the president, he would have signed that bill. So I think that the 115th Congress, which which um, convenes on January 3rd, well, they'll be in session for three weeks before President Obama. I mean, I'm sorry, before President Trump <laughs> takes takes off the oath of office. And so I think they'll have that bill already. And uh, and tied up with a blue ribbon around it, and on his desk the day he um, he uh, sits in the Oval Office. Yes, absolutely, and we can't hope for anything better because you know, fifty four percent of Americans 
were still in favor of repeal and replacement of Obama of, of Obamacare. And so I think, you know, the, when when uh, Bernie Sanders was out there campaigning for single payer Medicare for all Hillary, then in order to get Bernie's uh, voters on board said well, she didn't support single payer, but what she did support was introducing the public option again, which had been part of the um, the House version of the Affordable Care Act, and the public option would mean that there would be a government insurance plan to compete against private insurers in the exchanges. This was all part of Obama, Hillary, all of their plan to really get rid of private health care in this country and bring us to a single-payer Medicare for all system. So we've really, you know, come a long way um, um, from what could have happened. We dodged a bullet for now. Yes. But you know what? That was all part of Hillary care back in 1993. So uh, unfortunately uh, for her, um, it it was exposed for what it was. And Obamacare was the was the next step towards getting to what she um, ultimately wanted to get to. Exactly. But, um, you know, I think that you're 100 percent right, Sally, about um, Americans fed up with health care. And uh, I, I, no better example was in uh, Colorado in this last election when when uh, three quarters of the voters uh, uh, voted against the single payer initiative that was on their ballot. And I think that what that that uh, speaks volumes for the um, for the sentiment of the American electorate about health care. I think it was even worse than that. I think it was 80 20. It was four to one. <clears throat> against uh, Colorado Care. Well, and the thing was that if it had passed, the cost of the program was um, going to be the same as the, as the full size of the Colorado budget. So, and I think that a lot of the people that wrote, including myself, all of us who were, you know, fighting that from an educational point of view, um, and mentioned that in Vermont they had passed um, a single-payer bill and been signed into law by uh, Governor Shumlin, and then after two years of trying to get it going, he he had to pull it because they couldn't they couldn't afford it on the tax to, for the taxpayers to pay for it. So I think a lot of this combined with. The, people, the American people's frustration with Obamacare, um, this was um, a terrific, you know, rejection of, of single payer in Colorado. And Colorado is not, you know, a, a, a conservative state. We've seen some, no. you know, bad, bad things going on there. So it was very refreshing that it, that it went down and it went down so soundly. You bet. So let me put a question to the two of you. Now, we're talking about a bill to repeal and replace. When Obamacare was implemented, it was implemented in stages. It was implemented in steps over time. It didn't all happen all at once as soon as the ink was dry on the bill. So is there a preferred method of dismantling Obamacare, of unwinding it? Uh, you know, everyone, you know, conceptually wants to write that one-page bill kind of in your face. But is, is there a preferred method of, of, of taking this down one step at a time and at the same time sort of building something else at the same time so that you don't leave, as some people say, 20 million folks that are on Obamacare exchanges, et cetera, et cetera? Any thoughts? Do you want to, you want to step into that first, Sally? Sure, I can. Um, well, I think, you know, when you think about the 20 million people that, you know, are covered, out of 330 million people in America, um, of the 20 million, about 11 million are on the exchanges. The others bought private insurance. It's such a small number of people. And of those, 
11 million, 85% are getting subsidies from, from the federal government, and they're not happy. And the reason is it's expensive, the high deductibles, the small networks, all of this. So these people, I think, when the market opens up, are going to be delighted that they can actually get a plan that they can afford and will will deal with that you know, with the issues that they have. So the issue is what, you know, how to deal with, even though this is a small number, um, how to deal with it. And I think um, um, uh, Speaker Paul Ryan, you know, has said, and a number of of conservative people have said, there will have to be a transition, a sort of a two-year transition out of the exchanges and into the private market. So I think um, that that will be an important important step. Uh, Trump has said as well that he would allow um, p- uh, children to stay on their parents' plans till age 26. I hope that that doesn't stick forever, but maybe in transition it can. And then the third thing is that he, it, Trump felt that you know the people who have you know um, pre-existing, chronic pre-existing condition. conditions um, that if they have uh, if they can uh, keep their coverage on a continuous basis, um, they should not be subject to huge premium increases. And then the alternatives for those people who have really major chronic conditions and don't have employer-based coverage, um, then there would be the um, setting up of, well, Ryan's plan was $25 billion over 10 years, $2.5 billion a year, to provide funding for the um, high-risk pools. Sally, I'm going to stop you mid-sentence. We're, we're at the hard break. You are listening to The Doctor's Lounge on America's Web Radio. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. With all the back and forth in today's politics, it seems as though the Constitution gets lost in the mix. If you want to brush up on your Constitution, then join Michael Conley every Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. for the show Our Constitution on AmericasWebRadio.com. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Thanks for staying with us in the Doctor's Lounge. My guest today is Sally Pipes of Pacific Research Institute, and we're talking about the... uh, the good things to come in healthcare in 2017, along with my co-host, Dr. Mike Karuchik, who is running our board today. So um, uh, Mike posed the question about what else can be done right away um, and, and make Americans less edgy. And I think that we talked about um, uh, in, in the last segment early on, uh, the things that can happen on day one, which is the bill that uh, President Trump promised to uh, sign if reintroduced on his desk. And I think that that would, um, in in many ways, choke off 
um, Obamacare. So, so you, we wouldn't really repeal it with the, with the uh, stroke of a pen, but you um, basically uh, you you make it die a, a quick and and uh, and swift, uh, swift death by taking away the the money that that uh, it needs to to keep going. The other part. And that's what what President Trump can do. What Secretary um, of HHS Tom Price can do um, right away before any legislative stuff is enacted is he can roll back the essential benefit requirements of the insurance companies. Because as we all know on this on this uh, uh, call on this broadcast and what our listeners have heard for the last two years on this show is that the secretary of HHS was granted um, almost unlimited power over health care thanks to the Affordable Care Act. And so it's, it's in the purview of the secretary to roll back the essential benefits requirements of insurance companies, which means that insurance companies can start um, doing what they used to do, which is underwriting insurance policies, rating people based on their risk, writing uh, policies that that are, don't cost an arm and a leg because they include every single aspect of health care under the sun and pay first dollar out right away. And uh, this is what insurance used to be. The other thing that Secretary Trump can do on uh, right right after um, the administration uh, takes takes office is they can stop paying money to the insurance companies. Um, HHS and CMS are paying money to the insurance companies through the risk-sharing reduction program, through the risk corridor payment program, and through reinsurance payments. And these measures would choke off Obamacare and return between 10 and $20 billion to taxpayers. Sally, we want to weigh in on that one? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that is... I mean, this, and, and, you know, Sen, uh, Senator Rubio, who was, was reelected, was the person that really was put, put in my mind, in a good way, the fly in the ointment about not authorizing the funding to um, fund the risk corridor program uh, at $2.3 billion. So it was cut way back to, and, I think, $180 million. So that really caused the insurance companies, I think it's probably one of the main reasons why insurers are saying, you know, we're losing our shirts on the exchange programs and we're not getting the risk corridor money, so we're going to, you know, drop out of the exchanges. And in five states, there will only be one insurance plan in in the exchanges. Um, and a lot of the plans are going to be HMO, health maintenance organization plans, um, which the American people rejected in the early 1990s. So I think that that is so very important. I also think these cost-sharing reduction payments, which are being paid out um, illegally, um, that, that should and Trump should say that's over. The attorney general has to get it, stop it, and appeal it, appeal the ruling, and just stop making those those payments. So, between the risk corridor program, the reinsurance program, the cost sharing reduction payments, we can the taxpayers can save a lot of money, and patients will benefit because, as you say, how they will be able to get the kind of insurance uh, coverage that suits what the kind that they want, and it'll be cheaper without essential benefit, the essential health benefit plans. And then we need to get the states to start reducing the mandates on insurers, which are so onerous as well. And now we have a lot of Republican governors and Republican-controlled assemblies and Senate at the state level. So this should be something that will move forward as well. So we've, we've spent some time talking about what happens on day one. That pretty much 
is the repeal, but then there's the replace. And for the last two years, the GOP has worked on a plan called A Better Way, which looks at virtually every aspect of our uh, how Washington has perversely affected our lives. And health care is one big part of it. And they've devoted about 38 pages to um, to their ideas about uh, a better way for health care. And I'm just going to go through the five principles of the GOP plan, Better Way. And I'd like you to comment on each one of those, Sally, and and, and uh, maybe uh, what what the GOP plan means in terms of um, uh, the replacement plan for Obamacare. So their principles, as they state, is to repeal Obamacare, to provide more choice, lower costs, and greater flexibility, to protect the most vulnerable, to spur innovation in health care, and to protect, preserve, and strengthen Medicare. So you can take any one of those five and start off. Well, I think that we could start off uh, with with the, um, you know, Medicare. And as, you know, me- Medicare, one, one in three new Medicare-eligible patients can't even find a doctor because of low reimbursement rates. So I think voucherizing, means testing, um, age, age, raising the eligibility age, uh, premium support, these are terrific things that will actually make Medicare stronger and better uh, for the people that really uh, need, need, need Medicare and need help. Um, the issue of, you know, under, under Obamacare, the, um, the, the tax credits um, that, you know, about um, 85% of the 11 million this year who, you know, are on the exchanges are getting these, these uh, subsidies. But under um, Paul Ryan's plan uh, called A Better Way, um, the, the idea would be to go to age-based refundable tax credits. So that would be, so the younger you are, the lower your refundable tax credit would be. So say if you were between 18 and 35, your credit would be 1,200, 36 to 50, 2,100. And if you're um, 51 plus, then that would be $3,000 plus $900 per child. So I think this is the way to really get at who who actually needs help and this, this these age-based refundable tax credits. And the tax credit should go to the, the patient, not to the insurance company, which is the way the subsidy program works right now. And in terms of tax credits and, and uh, tax deductions, um, they've also one of the features of their plan is to uh, expand health savings accounts. Right, and I'm a huge fan of HSAs, and I have one myself. So um, the one thing that, you know, in a, in a better way, he's talking about um, health savings account ex- um, expansion. We should increase the limits uh, for individuals from 3350 up to 6650 to match the IRA limits. Uh, families um, should, should um, have, be able to put away more money as well. I think Trump had a great idea, which no one had talked about before, which was if you have an HSA and unfortunately you pass away, that you would be able to pass on the funds tax-free in your HSA account to your next of, next of kin without having to pay tax. So HSA Just, just like an IRA. Yes, exactly. And it put, they put doctors and patients in charge. And we've certainly seen in the employer market tremendous increase in employers offering HSA plans because they can see that patients become much more concerned about how they're spending their dollars. And Donald Trump has said as, uh, as one of his 
uh, hallmark uh, comments about health care, let's tear down the borders, which means um, for the uh, health care geeks like we are, um, insurance portability and creating an, an, a true national exchange for the purchase of health care insurance policies. Absolutely. And when Donald Trump first mentioned it, health care wasn't, as you know, how a huge issue um, when the when the when there were 17 people competing for the Republican nomination. And then when Hillary um, won the nomination, the Democratic side, even there was very little discussion um, about about health care, which to me was very disappointing. But I remember in one of Trump's early talks, he said, we need to break down those. We need to get rid of those state lines. And I thought, now, what lines is he talking about? <laughs> and then I realized, oh, he meant to um, to make insurance portable and to take down um, the um the the um, the walls so that people could purchase insurance across state lines so that if you uh, live in New York but you found a plan in Idaho or Arizona which was better suited to yourself you would be able to do that and I think it'll really bring about more competition reduce the cost of coverage um, it, it it shouldn't be you know managed and controlled at the state level so breaking down those those state lines i.e. allowing insurers to sell across state lines and interestingly insurers don't like the idea and i think it's because you know they could see that people you know would would be the competition would be there and they would see that you know people would be moving to the buying their coverage in states where which had lower lower costs but maybe even better better coverage so they don't like that but it is a true real way to make a a a national market and a lot more competition which would result in prices coming down for those of us. And it also threatens the state insurance commissioners. You know, the the mandates for insurance uh, coverage, um, that actually is not part of, it is now part of Obamacare, but it didn't originate with Obamacare. It originated in the states, didn't it? Yes, absolutely. And and some of these, like in California, uh, David Jones, the insurance commissioner, is, you know, very liberal, very um, pro um, ideas such as under Obamacare and single payer, but it would, be, you know, it's, um, you know, states should have have um, a lot more power in in what what they're what you know what they're offering their 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 uh, residents. You know, there are other things that uh, increase the cost of health care. You know, most of the the plans, and I've written about this, and I'm going to continue to write about this. The the um, these. These um, discussions about health care and, and the indignation of people about the high cost of health care, what we're really talking about is the high cost of health care insurance. And it's, nobody is really addressing the, the, um, the, the elephant in the room, which is that health care is too damn expensive. And, and um, there needs to be, um, beside competition, which is competition we're talking about for insurance, there needs to be competition for health care itself to drive the costs down. Because only by driving the costs down will... Americans see true value for the dollars that they're spending in health care. So it raises an interesting question then that I'll put to the two of you, which is that is there what opportunities are there in this brave new world um, that we're just beginning to dip our toe in the water to reduce the footprint of insurance and instead of being a entitlement program from everything from you know checkups to birth control uh, is there a way to to compress that down so that most of healthcare takes place without the presence of a third party payer 
and health insurance becomes like car insurance or life insurance where it's you know you buy the policy and throw it in the drawer and you almost forget it's there because true claims would be rare right i mean the whole the third the everyone is in the third party payer system right now whether you the third party payer is your insurance company or whether it's the government through the VA or through Medicare you know what Sally I've done it again we're at 13 <laughs> minutes I always do this I've done it twice in a row this is great it's too I'm going to cut us I'm going to cut us off and then we'll start in the fourth segment you are listening to the doctor's lounge on America's web radio with special guest Sally Pipes stay with us The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. And we're back in the Doctor's Lounge for our last segment with our special guest, Sally Pipes from the Pacific Research Institute, one of uh, America's foremost experts on uh, health care and uh, a, a real fighter in uh, trying to uh, turn back uh, government control over health care and uh, repeal of Obamacare. And it looks like maybe there's some light at the end of the tunnel. And uh, we're solving the problems about how to get there today. And uh, the last uh, segment ended with uh, Sally talking about um, what is the low-hanging fruit to, uh, to uh, really uh, control the, the escalating costs that are, that are plaguing our health care system. Well, so I mean, you're right, Hal. I mean, we have to get rid of these mandates, not just the ones under the essential benefit plan from the federal Affordable Care Act, but states have to start, you know, removing um, these very expensive mandates that add, you know, 20 to 50 percent to to the cost the cost of a premium. And people who have employer-based coverage, this what we call first-dollar coverage, they may pay a small copay when they go to the dock. They may pay a small part of the premium, but they basically think healthcare is. A right, and it's and it's it's basically free. And as Milton Friedman would say, you know, when people think something is free, they're going to use a whole lot more of it, and that has happened. So we need to put people in charge, and we need to get, you know, impo- in the long run, I would like to see health insurance moved away from the employer. That was a gift during World War II to employers so that they could uh, provide 
um, employees with health insurance tax-free, but it was a way to attract new people. But the people in the individual market go out, they have to buy their health care with after-tax dollars. So I think uh, Dr. Price and Paul Ryan want to see that playing field leveled. But in the long run, people should not be tied to a job and t- because of, of their health insurance. Okay, so let me do rapid fire in this last segment with you and throw some things out that I believe, and I know that Mike will concur with me, are the, are the cost drivers in, uh, in health care that need to be addressed in this new administration. Um, the the um, number one in my, in my book is the con- hospital consolidation and uh, the, the, the effort, the push towards driving health care into hospitals, which is the highest uh, uh, cost center in the health care market. Right. Yeah, hospital consolidation has been a huge issue. And in fact, same with doctors. We're now seeing that 49% of graduating residents are joining hospitals instead of going into private practice or into group practice. But hospital consolidations, you know, have increased the cost of, of, of health care. And then we, of course, saw under the Affordable Care Act, the uh, ACOs, the Accountable Care Organizations. These are supposed to be a way to, you know, not ration care, but cut costs for people, you know, on Medicare. And it hasn't proved to be the case. And ACOs are, are a disaster in the, in the pioneer ones. They changed the name to think, make people think that it would work, but they don't. So we need to, you know, allow private hospitals to, you know, grow again, specialty hospitals, um, and, and let the, the market work rather than having a few, um, you know, large hospital groups like you see, you know, in, in California, Cal Pacific, Sutter Health. I mean, these big groups, I mean, it's, it's not the way to bring about competition or reduce cost. Okay, number two um, on the list is um, the, uh, the, the fact that um, s- between 200 and $600 billion annually is spent on defensive medicine. Ah, that that has been an issue. Um, that's a terrible issue. And remember when uh, President Obama was selling Obamacare to the American public, he said, the little red pill, the little blue pill, and all these tests that doctors are doing, they're doing these tests not because they need to be done, but because they want to line their pockets with, with money. And, of course, PricewaterhouseCoopers has pointed out that the cost of defensive medicine in this country is about $210 billion a year. Doctors do all of these tests, for the most part, because they are afraid of being sued, and their medical malpractice insurance is very expensive. And so we need to, um, I think, med mal, medical malpractice reform should be done at the state level, not at the federal level. Let the states decide how they want to do it. But in Texas, when they did med mal reform, capping uh, non-economic damages, um, we saw um, an increase in doctors going into the state of Texas. We saw the, the premiums for doctors' med mal going down. So we really need to do medical malpractice reform because this whole idea of ambulance chasing just adds tremendously, as you say, 200 to $600 billion a year. Well, um, the uh, Paul Ryan Better Way Plan incentivizes states to adopt um, medical tort reform. So I think that that's right. something that we hope will happen. Number three on this list, um, competition is is uh, uh, restricted in 35 states in the District of Columbia because of certificate of need laws. Right. CONs, it's a big con job. Um, you know, the certificate of need is a way for um, 
the existing hospitals to limit new entrants into the field. And so, you know, they take, when, when, when a new hospital applies, um, it takes a long time for them to get approval if they even get approval. So it's a way to keep the revenues up for those hospitals that are in business already, but it does, it, it, keeps new new entrants out of the field and that is wrong because as i say you know specialty hospitals in many cases for cancer for heart those are all very good ideas but under obamacare you know it's one size fits all and you can't possibly have hospitals specializing so certificate of need laws are a real impediment and we need to get rid of them and again i think the federal government under the trump administration can incentivize states to uh, to sunset their their certificate of need laws, um, which um, uh, has uh, uh, was was promoted by the federal government, and uh, they're kept in place because of special interests, which Donald Trump said that he's going to fight back against. He's going to drain the swamp. Drain that swamp. Number four. Um, people do not realize that the high cost of health care is because um, of overregulation, either from Washington or from their state capitals. And um, the uh, one of the, the biggest uh, uh, culprits right now is the macro law that uh, was the teeth in Obamacare. You know, if people are focused on Obamacare, but it was a shell. But the law that was passed last year, the macro law, is, um, is, the, uh, is, is the pit bulldog for uh, for the Affordable Care Act, and this is going to uh, put unnecessary and and onerous regulations on the physician community and uh, create um, uh, issues for the um, the the uh, delivery of health care to patients. So so do you think that uh, the macro law has has a chance of uh, getting overturned? I certainly hope so. I mean, it was when it passed, um, and this is for uh, people on on Medicare. Um, when the macro law passed, every you know the Obama and all the administration. This is the the um, the, the silver bullet. You know, doctors are going, going not are not going to have to you know have these temporary increases and things. But in fact, it's really putting the screws on doctors and what they can be paid. And if they don't um, follow these specific rules, their increases will be. And in, in in what they're reimbursed will be very low. So I think, um, you know, while um, many people on the liberal side say macro, the macro law is the solution, it's actually a terrible idea. And I really hope that the um, that it is removed uh, so that doctors can practice the way they they want. And and particularly, the macro will be harmful to to our seniors. Yeah, well, my co-host sitting here with me is probably chomping at the bit to say something because he's one of the uh, country's experts on the um, on the IT part of uh, of macro. Well, Sally, I was Sally, I was just going to ask you. Um, a lot of people, some of what I've read suggests that that the Obamacare debate will suck all the air out of the room as far as a conversation about macro. Um, have you heard anything to that effect, or do you think there's enough intellectual bandwidth to, to cover both of these issues soon? Well, I, I certainly hope so. Um, you know, and when, when you mentioned the, um, um, the electronic health records, I mean, this has just been such a disaster, and particularly for docs in small groups, the cost of complying with that is, is tremendous. But we've also seen, like a friend of mine is um, the deputy chair of um, 
uh, obstetrics at Harvard Medical School and Mass General, and she said the number of docs that have quit, senior docs who have quit medicine, particularly over over the electronic health records, and you know they've the the university and the hospital have spent millions trying to make this work, and it's not working. It just drove the doctors right out of the business, and that is not what we want. Well, well it's, it's driven it's driven doctors out of the hospital, and it's created yeah. an entirely new special specialty called hospitalists. So so your doctor no longer comes in to see you in the hospital, but they turn over the care to the people in the hospital. And part of the reason, not all, but part of the reason is the electronic medical record well it's a it's a big reason it's ruining training programs people are residents are spending a huge amount of their training programs in front of a computer filling all out all these requirements on behalf of their attendings and nobody spends time on the wards anymore nobody touches patients yeah. uh, there's a now every ward has a workroom full of kiosks and terminals and residents spend their time there you know how you'll remember this uh, in training after minutes. you um, yeah, we've got uh, we got uh, what uh, one minute, uh, one minute. <laughs> so you know actually. what we're gonna we're gonna save yeah. this story that for works. the next time we sure. come. You Sally, Lan- we, I want to thank you for for being with us today and and leave us with uh, some some uh, optimistic uh, thoughts for 2017 in healthcare. Repeal and replacement of Obamacare in January of 2017, giving Americans freedom of choice in health care, and we can all move to be much healthier because we don't have the federal government breathing down our neck. So I'm very optimistic for 2017 um, in the new, uh, um, uh, new Congress. Well, that's, that's, those are great thoughts. As we close out the year, we have uh, two more shows before the end of the year, but I can't um, echo those thoughts uh, um, uh, more than you have. And, I, and I, again, we appreciate you being on the show with us today, Sally. And, uh, and until next time, um, uh, stay with us on the Doctor's Lounge. Um, I'm your host, Dr. Hal Schurz, with my co-host, Dr. Michael Rucci. You've been listening to the Doctor's Lounge on America's Web Radio. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.